So I want to pray, and uh, we're going to jump in tonight. So Teo, why don't you jump up here, and let's pray, and uh, just ask God to fill us with fresh hunger tonight to hear everything He's got for us. So Lord, thank you. I want to thank you first for a 60-year history in this mission of being a cross-cultural kingdom people. Thank you for what Lauren and Darlene have pioneered all across the earth, Lord. Thank you for the many languages spoken in the YWAM family. Thank you for the many nations and many uh, language, many people groups that are represented in this global family. But Lord, we're just saying to you tonight, um, we're not satisfied with where we are. We're not satisfied with where YWAM Kona is. We want to go deeper. We want to understand more from the scriptures and we want to apply it at even more intentional levels. So we just ask tonight, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Open our eyes. Show us our blind spots. Open our ears to the things that we need to hear tonight. Let us leave this place with revelation of what you're saying to the YWAM Kona community. We bless Teo. Thank you for the ways invested in Kona over this last year in YWAM for many years. Thank you that he is family. Thank you for his own life stories that are so critical to where we're heading. I pray you'd anoint him as he teaches the word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Can you guys just thank Teo for coming and uh, pouring into us like this? And this is all recorded because uh, we think it's super important that our whole community hears this. So we're recording every session, and we'll make sure those get out as well. Thank you, Andy. Awesome. Well, 6.50. So uh, we want to try to go till uh, 7.30, 7.20, and then we're going to break up. Remember those three groups we got? We have the uh, U.S. interracial group where we're discussing how does uh, this, this teaching apply in that context. And then we have the other tier of tension, which is the Hawaiian uh, and the Pacific Islander. How does that ap apply to us being here in Kona with the local community and uh, in Hawaii? And also the third tier tension, which is the internationals uh, that are coming from a different perspective, non-U.S., non-Hawaii. All right. So that's what we're, we're going to be doing that. If you, do you remember which uh, group you were part of last time? If you were a Hawaii group, raise your hand real quick. Okay. Please don't go back there. Go to another uh, uh, perspective. Is that okay? Uh, if you were international group, please, who's that? Okay. We'll go to the, uh, go to the other one, okay? And, and you get the point. All right, cool. So with that being said, you know, so uh, I want to talk about, actually, you know what? I know we did review uh, already, and, um, but let me just kind of throw out some things just to refresh your memory real quick. We talked about a fight uh, from isolation last time. Remember that? And, and Jesus uh, really brings in the Gentiles into his family, fighting against this isolation. And, and a lot of the Western Christian mentality, when it comes to a um, holy lifestyle or, or a life in Christ, has to do with achieving moral right. And we talked about it's not just about achieving moral right, but it is... It's about you restoring reconciliation of relationship and you coming into the family of Jesus and we fight against anything that tries to keep us isolated. Now, uh, we also talked about uh, what, um, what we, we read here in um, Ephesians 3, which says to us uh, that God's e eternal purpose realized in Christ Jesus was to have a cross-cultural church. So part of why we fight for cross-cultural communities is because that's what Christ paid for. And lastly, we talked about 
that the reason why we go for cross-cultural kingdom communities, it's because it is the fulfillment, according to Galatians 3, 7, 8, of the promise made to Abraham. Remember, all the nations are going to be blessed through you. So these are the reasons why we're fighting for this. We don't fight for this because it's the popular thing to do now that the social medias are bumping, you know, uh, the, the media, the mainstream media, and everybody's talking, it's not too popular if you don't have a diverse stage. That's not the reason why we do it. That's very shallow. We do it because it's biblical. Amen? And so, I mean, this, this is God's idea. Unity in diversity was God's idea since the get-go. I would actually argue it was his idea since Genesis 1, when he's given the cultural mandate. He's saying, hey, verse 28, he's saying, hey, you, you got to... Uh, multiply, you got to be fruitful, spread across the earth, you know, and I'm going to get into a little bit of that. But let me preface a little bit before we get into our content today that I have been really searching my heart for the last two weeks. I've been searching my heart. So you guys doing okay, guys? Yeah. yeah? All right. See, I'm, a, I'm Pentecostal and I'm Latino, so I need some feedback. All right. So speak to me. All right. Um... Fala Deus, habla Deus. Então vamos lá, ó. Oh. Sorry. Ah. I, I just said, let's go in Portuguese. Say with me, vamos lá. That's let's go, right? So, um, I've been asking myself and asking the Lord, Lord, why is it that I'm passionate about cross-cultural? Why am I passionate about seeing, you know, the multi-ethnic expression of your kingdom and uh i actually started writing down some of the questions that i've been asking myself and so i want to share with you and as i share with you these questions it could come off a little bit of a little edgy or pushy it's not my intention and when i'm speaking to you you know i knew in theory i mean i always known i'm you know i'm a ywmer i did my dts here uh 2000 if uh you came after you're welcome uh come mi casa su casa uh, but uh, we've been here for a year now, so it's kind of like I'm speaking to you as a brother. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. And so I'm speaking not as an outsider of the mission, but as an insider of the mission. Yeah. And so it's, it's something that I'm, I'm even going to take away the I, which was initially my way of saying, Lord, am I doing this for this? And the Lord says, no, put we. Are we doing this for this? Right? And so I have three questions today. Uh, that will search our hearts, and so the title today really is three questions, three questions, there we go, three questions that will search our hearts in our cross-cultural journey. I've just been meditating on uh, Psalms 139, you know, when, when the psalmist says, search my heart, uh, see me if there is any evil ways, Lord, Lord, you know, you even say, no, there isn't, but you know, it's never too much for you to search your heart again. So I'm doing a heart search. Lord, why are we going through this? Why are we, you know, advocating for this? So three questions that will search our hearts in our cross-cultural journey. Turn to your neighbor and say, this journey is not yours, is not mine, it's ours. Say to your other neighbor, this journey is of you of Encona. Amen? So as you of Encona family... This is our journey. And uh, we're asking this question. Lord, search our hearts. Would you show us? So the first question that I've been asking myself is, number one, 
in number one, in our quest for cross-culturalism, are we being more influenced by... Is it because uh, you saw stuff in social media? Is it because some buddies of yours have been asking when you post stuff about what you're doing in ministry? Hey, where's so-and-so? Where's people that look that way or that way? Why are you in this? Is this being guided by the word or is this being guided by society? Now, let me just say this. There's nothing wrong for you to be in tune with society. On the contrary, you should be in tune with society. You should know, hey, you're called to actually be salt and light to the world. So, I mean, it's important for you to know what's going on in the world. But what we see is God's cross-cultural church is a theological vision. Say this, I'm saying this again. God's cross-cultural church is a theological vision. However, it does have beautiful sociological implications. It's not the other way around. It starts with his theology, or his, his uh, perspective, his word. So we approach this saying, Lord, your word talks about this. And when we apply this word, we see beautiful sociological implications. Does that make sense? It's not, oh, I'm going to fight for this because we need a, bear, a, a just society. That's good. But that's not enough if you know the word. If you know the word, you start from, Lord, I understand that the cross represents this reconciliation between me and you. So my reconciliation, the ministry of my reconciliation that you give to me starts when I align myself to you. Once I'm aligned to you, I have to minister reconciliation horizontally. That's the picture of the cross. So when I get this first one right, there will be sociological implications that are Beautiful. Ephesians 2, verse 10. If you take notes or opening the word, just follow with me. I'm going to read a big chunk of verse here and um, just kind of follow. It says here, For we are God's handiwork or workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Say with me, I am created, I am created. to do good works, that, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, Paul is actually uh, not talking about just any good works. Healing is a good work. Uh, prophecy is a good work. Uh, uh, preaching the gospel is a good work, and, and uh, it could be included. But, I mean, when you get the context of this text, you understand that he's talking about something very specific. Verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, which would be all of us, pretty much, right? Because I don't, I don't know if there's Jewish people here. Is it anybody here Jew? Okay, one. Okay. And you're Brazilian. And, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. Are you Jewish too? Jewish bush. Okay, so majority of us, like myself, an Asian Brazilian, I'm a Gentile. My man, where are you from? Delaware. Okay, so African American, he's a Gentile. Where are you from? Germany. Germany. White German, Gentile. Right? So we are the outsiders. Isn't it crazy that Western Christianity puts some mentality in us that we are the insiders? I'm not Western, but you get what, what I'm saying. They, we are the outsiders. That we get grafted in. So this is what Paul's saying. And, and why am I hidden on this? Because you start reading the gospel differently when you come as an outsider. And, and, and he says, you were Gentile, you were Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcised by the, the by the ones that, of circumcision. Verse 12. Remember that at the time you who were separate from Christ, we read this 
You were isolated. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, say with me, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. You who were created in Christ Jesus to do good works are now in Christ Jesus. You were once far away, but you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now stop there for a second. Paul is talking about something that in ancient times was very common. In the second temple of the Jewish people, there was a barrier. This barrier divided the Gentiles from the Jews. The Gentiles could not worship past that barrier. And now you got to understand that in ancient times, ethnicity was very related to your religious convictions or to your religious practices. So he's saying, listen, we, you have basically two races. you got the Jewish race, you got the Gentile race, and he says, the blood of Jesus breaks that barrier. This is what he's saying in verse 14, and he says here, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulation, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Say with me, one new race. Now, look at this, verse eight, uh, 16. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For though him, these two race, like I said, uh, ethnicity in ancient times was very defined by religious affiliation. And he's saying this barrier is broken. And he's saying now, you know, Gentiles, before, if you cross that line, you could die. Now you can cross the line and have life. We got one, we have one new race. And so since the beginning, if you want to write, write this down. Since the beginning, the church carried the mandate of breaking cultural barriers. Since the beginning. This is not a new idea. This is not something that showed up in the scene with George Floyd. This is not something that began with Martin Luther. This is not something that Malcolm X said. This is something that since Paul's days... He's saying the church has a mandate of breaking cultural barriers. Now, understand this, that once we are in Christ, we are clothed in Christ. Amen? Amen. And every prejudice falls under the cross. Amen? And so we become one people made of different cultures with the same value before the Lord, seeking to fulfill the same mission. Now, I know I'm saying a lot of stuff here that is quite obvious, but it's important for us to watch out. Why should we watch out? Because when we emphasize sociological perspective more than a biblical perspective, we will actually start stumbling on things that does not make sense. So biologically, if you want to write this down, biologically, we are only one race, right? Human race. Biologically, we are, we are only one race. Sociologically, we're different races. We're white, we're black, we're yellow. We're, I mean, we're, we're different races. Theologically, there's two races, and when the barrier is broken, there's a third race. There's the Jewish, theologically. There's the non-Jewish, theologically. The barrier's broken, and now the church becomes the third race. Does that make sense? 
And so people in the ancient church, in the other church, they didn't know what to make of that. So they said, these guys are a different race because how can Jewish and Gentiles worship together and eat together? Does that make sense? And so it's important for us to keep that in mind. So number one question is, in our, in our quest for cross-culturalism, are we being more influenced by society than by the word? And so one of the things that bothers me, and I don't say this with uh, bitterness or anything, but I say that actually, especially for you that are staff, long-term, right? Long-term commitment here, is that right? You're getting in contact with a lot of young people coming in and out, in and out, and a lot of them have their causes. I had my cause uh, when I was growing up. I remember even during my uh, DTS or my YWAM days, I had my social justice causes as well. I remember one time I uh, started getting really interested in Che Guevara. You know who Che Guevara is? Yeah. Right? And so I started reading Che Guevara, and I thought I was super cool. And, of course, I used to listen to Rage Against the Machine, so that helped. And you don't know who I'm talking about. Am I, am I just dating myself when I say that kind of stuff? All right, so I started, so I was reading this thing, and I remember I had this, I was living, this is so ironic, I was living in the Harpenden base uh, at the Greenfield Oval, and I went to London on a trip, and I saw uh, a Che Guevara sweatshirt, and I bought it. Now, how, well, you're in London, capital of capitalism, and I'm buying a Che Guevara sweatshirt, and I'm going back to Brazil like, oh, I'm a, a revolutionary. And I remember my mom saw that, all of my literature of Che Guevara and my sweatshirt, and she, I mean, she got, you are not bringing this trash in my house. I mean, we had a fight, right? And I didn't understand. I'm like, mom, I'm about the revolution. She's like, you're about the revolution. Leave the house and go pay rent. <laughs> or go ask the government to pay for your rent. Right? So it was kind of like, what am I trying to say is, you know, I love Jesus. I was all about revival. I used to listen to Delirious. Remember that? And so, bro, I, and I, but I love Che Guevara. So what am I trying to say? When you're 20 years old, you're 21 years old, 22 years old, you get all confused, but you got passion. Right? You got passion. Wherever outlet of passion, yeah, I'm going to fight for that. You know, so I fought for Che Guevara. I didn't even know who Che Guevara was. But I was all about revival. So you'll get people like that. I mean, we are like that. Many of you have gone through the same journey as I did, right? And so it's important for us to learn how to open the word with young people and say, all right, this cause that you have for social justice, for racial justice, let me tell you, man, it's not about that YouTuber. It's not about, you know, that hip-hop guy or it's not about that professor at Harvard or that politician it's about the word. The breaking of cultural barriers was God's idea since Genesis, was God's idea since the early church. And when we read these biblical texts, it makes sense. Now, number two, number, our second question is, are we willing to retain this question? But basically, what I'm talking about here is when you can avoid wrestling with the hard issues, you have the luxury of speed. When you can avoid wrestling with deeper tensions in a community setting, you can have the luxury of quicker church growth. And I'll say church growth because I'm a church pastor. And uh, as I'm asking these questions, you know, the Lord asked me, Do, will you slow down? And that's why also we took a sabbatical. 
Will you slow down to realign your vision? Because I'll tell you, sometimes when you're running so fast, you can't see straight. Does that make sense? Sometimes it's important for you to, whatever it looks like for you, it looked something different for me. But for me, it meant me unplugging and uh, focusing on things that were important and that are important for the Lord. The ministry is important for the Lord. But uh, in my life, the Lord says, I, I want you to focus on this right now. And so I had to say, I I'll slow down. And it just didn't make much sense for me because it was right after the Send Brazil. And so it's like, the Send Brazil, three stadiums, there's a lot of demand, tail, now's your time. And the Lord says, no, nope, now you slow down. Are you willing to reduce speed, reduce your social media numbers, reduce your church attendance numbers, reduce your school numbers, if that speed will cost you, strain away from the original vision. Why did the Lord call me? Well, I, I know why the Lord called us. It's the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, I know that, but specifically for my life, I have a specific assignment, and I'm aware of that assignment, and the Lord says, if you speed too much, if you grow too fast, you may end up as a 60-year-old man bitter because you missed it and you don't have the physical figure to continue to fulfill the way that I designed you to fulfill the vision. Does that make sense? So in this process, I see something in the Word, and I want you to follow with me here. You see, in one side, I was going to put it in a, in a slide, but I, I forgot, so I'm going to try to say this slower. You write it down. You see in one side, monoculturalism and division. I know they sound very paradoxical, but monoculturalism and division. You see on the other side, unity and diversity. The Lord is all about unity and diversity. The Lord is not about division, and he's not about monoculturalism. Now, we know that the Lord is not about division. That is very obvious to any Christian. But let me tell you, if you start reading the narrative of the Bible, he's also not about monoculturalism. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, you don't have to read it, but I mean, uh, just write it down and maybe you can read it later. But that's what we call the, the, the cultural mandate. And he's telling it. He's telling man, hey, I want you to multiply. I want you to, to bear fruit. I want you to spread out. I gave you this earth. And out of Eden, Eden is the, is the, is the inception of a human race that I want you to spread across the globe. Does that make sense? Now, if you go to Genesis 11, 10 chapters forward, you see the Tower of Babel. Right? I know Lauren always mentions this, but I'll, I'll mention again, uh, the Tower of Babel was a monoculture. You, you understand that the original vision was for man to spread across the earth according to Genesis 1.28. However, they gathered around one culture, one language, and they said, we're going to rise up to the, to the stature of, the, of, of, of our God. That, that was the mentality. And now, the Lord said, they're going to get there. Why is that? Because you can grow quicker when it's monocultural. When you have only one language, you grow quicker. But the question is, if that's the intent to grow quicker, what was wrong with Babel? Well, I know the arrogance of pride of trying to reach the stature of God. I, I understand that. But God stops them and says, I will scatter them. 
So do you see this? There's a monocultural division, a monocultural of humanity will be divided from God. When God said, hey, in Genesis 1.28, I've always wanted diversity and unity with man. You get that? Now, let's fast forward a little bit more and go to Genesis chapter 12. That's the Abrahamic covenant. You get, so Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic co- uh, covenant, God calls Abraham to begin the nation. Now, check this out. There was no Israel in Tower of Babel. Genesis 12, he says, I get the idea of Israel. And he's going to come up with the idea of Israel because Israel will be the catalyst for the unity and diversity. He says, I'm going to form a nation out of you, Abraham. And this nation is in the intention of Jews and Gentiles worshiping together as a third race, the church. It was always his intent. When he looked at the Tower of Babel and he saw, hey, this is not going to work. They're going to be they're together monoculturally and they're going to be divided from me. I will scatter them. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, I will want to rise you up and I will make a covenant with you. Three parts of the covenant. I will give you a seed. I will give you a land. Say with me, land. Say with me, land is important. Write that down because I'm going to go back to that. Land is important. He says, I will give you a seed. I will give you a land and I will give you the nations. Come on, you got discernment. You know where I'm going. You know how I'm going to tie up this point. He says, I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to give you another generation. Youth, next gen. I will give you land. A people needs a land. And I will give you the nations. Through you, the nations will come back into my original plan of the Eden. Does that make sense? And so what does Abraham do? Abraham, like every human being, tries to help God. How many of you tried to help God before? <laughs> I've tried to manipulate God's promises in my life, so, and it never worked out. So what does Abraham do? He wants to speed it up. He's like, hey, let's get to the numbers, man. Let's get to the stars in the sky and the sand in the, in the, in the beach, right? It's like, let's go with Ishmael. And you can see the effect of that till today. So Abraham tries to speed up the promise by birthing Ishmael. What am I trying to say? Hey, if you know me, and some of you know me pretty well, I'm all about running, nonstop, working, producing, growing, expansion. But I've started to realize I've committed a lot of mistakes when I'm running fast. The only time I only went to jail was because I was speeding. And I should have learned from that, but I didn't. I kept speeding with ministry, speeding with family, speeding with life. Today, as I walked out of my house, you know, uh, uh, Junior said, had the kids come pray with me before we always have this this tradition, right? And so they prayed with me, and uh, I'm walking out. My older son says, Daddy, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go preach, preach about Jesus. But where? It's like, oh, at uh, campus. Where? Ohana Court. Oh, it's close. It's okay. And right there I understood. Because if it was Japan, if it was uh, Korea, if it was Brazil, if it was Argentina, he would have to prepare himself. Because it's been a little bit of his life stories ever since he was born. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying it's wrong for you to travel to preach. I'm not saying that. 
I'll, all I'm, I'm saying is I still see the effects of speed in my family and in my life. And so Abraham tries to speed it up. And there's Ishmael. Now, great commission. Let's go to New Testament. That was a call to disciple nations in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What was the Great Commission about? Making disciples of nations. It's promoting unity under the gospel of the kingdom, the unity of the nations. The nations would gather under the gospel of one kingdom. Unity in the midst of diversity. Now, that was so countercultural. You got to understand, it, it, we, we read about it, we study about it, we, we you know, we, all we do here at Wyoming is about that, so... But we don't understand that in the, con on the context of when this was said, that's the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, that was totally countercultural. You got to understand that Caesar, Rome, was trying to do the opposite. Rome, I mentioned this a little bit uh, last time, Rome was trying to promote unity through enforcing monoculturalism. We want to expand, we want to grow, we want to conquer fast. But hey, how do we keep this thing together? Promoting monoculturalism. That's why we have an ecclesia. That's why we have apostles. So we send the apostles, the leader of the ecclesia, that were nothing more than cultural police sent by Caesar to go to a place. For instance, they would go to Cappadocia, and that was now the new territory of Rome. And they would say, now you won't function like you did before. We are coming as the ecclesia. We're the cultural police sent by Caesar. You belong to Rome. You dress like Romans. You eat like Romans. Your kids will be raised like Roman kids. They were enforced in monoculturalism because Caesar knew to keep the speed of my expansion, to keep the breadth and the width of what I'm doing, I need to enforce monoculturalism. And Jesus comes with a church doing flipping or flipping this upside down, doing totally opposite, saying, no, 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 no. We are going to go do the opposite. We're going to advance all the nations. Come with your different languages. Come with your different expressions. You're from Arabia. You're from Crete. You're from Cappadocia. Come under one banner of ethnicity is not above the blood, but it can be celebrated under the blood. Does that make sense? Now, this is all, you, uh, so I just mentioned quickly, Genesis 1, 26, 28, the, uh, the cultural mandate. We touched on the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. We touched on Gen Genesis 12, the Abraham Covenant. I jumped all the way to the New Testament, to the Great Commission. But all you have to see is there is a quest to finally get to the great multitude of Revelation 7. That's what's happening here. It's a quest to get to Revelation 7-9 from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that's where we're at right now. We're on this quest. So let me just uh, give you some, uh, some uh, trivia here. In 1955, a scholar by the name of Donald McGavran wrote a book called The Bridges of God. Well, you don't have to remember this, but just know this. This was the birth of what we know in the Western church as the church growth movement, 1955, the book, The Bridges of God by Donald McGavern. And in the book, he, said, he, he communicates a principle that we call the HUP, or the homogenous unit principle. Have you guys heard of the homogenous unit principle before? Anybody? 
Let me read you what is the homogenous unit principle and what it taught. It taught that homogenous churches grow faster because people prefer to attend church with those from similar racial, socioeconomic, ethnic, linguistic, and cultural backgrounds. So in the Western church in 1954, there was even a denomination that launched a campaign saying 54 million Another 54 million, because they saw, hey, our, we, our church growth is not as where it should be, so let's work on church growth, and this book comes out and brings this principle, homogenous unit principle, which says, hey, for our churches to grow, we need to remove barriers for church growth. And they've done studies, and they said, if, if we go to a neighborhood, and we say, listen, this is a black neighborhood. Let's do black church, and we'll do black songs, and we'll do black celebration, and we'll do black decoration. It'll grow faster. Then we'll go to another place and say, everything needs to look white. The way they sing their songs, the way they worship, the way the pastors that preach, everybody has to be white. So we're going to remove the barriers for church growth. Because how many of you know it's hard to live with people that are different than you? Marriage? Come on, guys. Right? Women think different than men. Amen. It's easier for you to be with people that think like you, that talk like you, that like things that you like, that have same political convictions that you have, that root for the same soccer team. They, and where I'm from, that's a big deal, more than politics. No, seriously. We kill for that. Sadly, but true. So it's easy. I actually went to a church in Porto Alegre. You know where Porto Alegre is? South of Brazil, bordering Argentina and Uruguay that the two main soccer teams, Inter and Gremio, Inter is red jersey. Gremio is blue jersey. It is considered one of the top three rivalries, soccer rivalries of the world. First, first top rivalry of soccer in the world is in Turkey. Galatasaray and Besiktas, right? Fenerbahce, yes. Second biggest soccer rivalry in the world is in Scotland, Celtics and Rangers. Third is in Brazil, Grêmio and Inter. And in this church, they used to have, uh, it's like, you know, old school Pentecostal. They had, uh, for you to give your offering, uh, tithes and offerings, so they had the red sack or whatever. How do you call that thing? The, the offering sack, whatever, bag? Yeah, the off red one and the blue one. Because the finances of the church dropped because there was only the blue one. And all the Inter fans said, we're not giving tithes into that thing. How many of you know that's idolatry? They're saying, I am not going to give in to the, the principle, the biblical principle of, of tithes and offering because my idol is my soccer team. But anyways, I, that's a huge uh, uh, tangent. Let me go back. I get, I get kind of excited when I talk about soccer. Anyways. So in the attempt to draw individuals into church, they said, let's remove all cultural barriers. That was uh, 1955, so I mean, that's what, over, what, help me do the math here, almost 70 years ago. And then we ask ourselves, why, why is the church so segregated? In the name of speed? In the name of numbers? And I'm not saying that's the only reason, but that was one of the reasons. So 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9 says, for we are God's fellow workers. Now, check this out. You are God's field. You are God's building. Oh, I'm running out of time. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, 
I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. But let, but let each one of you take heed how he builds on it. Let me read verse 10 again. According to the foundation, I am a wise master builder. Like a wise master builder builds a house, he does calculations. How big is the house? How many stories? Two stories? Three stories? Four stories? According to that dimension, I will calculate the foundation. Does that make sense? Paul says, according to what I see that you need to build, that is the purpose of God in Christ for you, I am laying the apostolic teachings that are the foundation so that when you start building church, the church will actually stand because you haven't dimensioned the foundation for a different building. How many of you know that if you build a foundation for a one-story house and you build on it a four-story house, you're in trouble? Paul says, hey, I know what I started building. Basically, who starts the foundation calls the shot on how the building is going to be built. Paul says, listen, I have laid the foundation as a master builder. He's saying, hey, man, I'm good at what I do. I know what I did. So don't try to go and preach another gospel. Don't try to start building another kind of church. It's not going to work because I put a foundation there specifically for the house that God told me to build. And he says, and then comes another to build on it. And then he says something very important. If you want to, you should underline this in your text. It says, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, I laid out this foundation for the church. Now, I want to take this to another um, example. Yes, Paul's talking about the church of Jesus Christ, but put this into your life, into the, into the purposes of God in your personal life. He's saying, listen, I have given you a vision for what I want you to build, your ministry, your church, your family, your nonprofit, your business, your political career, the school you want to build, the university you're called to, re- to build, whatever. He's saying, you're going you're to lay the foundation And if you're wise, like Paul was wise, you're going to calculate the foundation for that to reach its goal. Does that make sense? So let me ask about U of Ancona. What is the foundation for U of Ancona? The words that the Lord gave our founders, Lord and Dar. So what he's saying is, don't forget the foundation, the original words. Now I'm talking about the mission, our mission. The covenant words that are here, because those covenant words that were given to God, to our founders and to the elders, are specifically for what is to be built upon that. Don't try to build something that is not what they received as the foundation. They dimensioned that foundation for that specific building. Does that make sense? So when we see that, I still don't understand. Guys, are we in family here? I still don't understand when I sit around people at the BTC, and I start talking to them, and they don't have nations in their hearts. So what are you doing here? Don't you know how to read? Like down there, there's a huge thing that says University of the Nations. It does not say the University of Texas. It does not say the University of wherever you're from. 
It does not say the University of Brazil. That's why I'm not speaking to you in Portuguese. Eu posso falar em português com você. Só que se eu falar em português com você, você não vai entender. Então, eu gostaria de falar em português com você. Mas eu não vou falar português com você porque eu tenho que me submeter à visão. Está entendendo? O que eu acabei de falar? What did I just say? I said, I would rather speak in Portuguese to you. It's easier for me to preach in Portuguese to you. But I am not in my church in São Paulo to preach in Portuguese. I am at the University of the Nations. So therefore, I submit to the vision of the nations. I need to speak a language that you understand. But if I feel, oh, I'm not comfortable speaking English. I'm not comfortable speaking a second language or a third language or a fourth language. You're at the University of the Nations. So Paul is saying, he says, hey, I built this thing. I calculated the dimension. You want to see this building not fall? Make sure you build according to the foundation. And I say this with love. I'm not trying to attack anything. I say this with love. As I would say to my people that would come here, and I have people that I pastor that are here today, and I told them, you want to go to Kona? You better learn English. You want to go to Kona? Don't take your Brazilian way to Kona. Adapt to the way that they do things in Kona. Don't be a colonizer and show up there. Hey, everybody, you got to do what I do. Now, Paul is saying, hey, I built this foundation. Somebody else will build on it. And why am I saying this with such a passion? Well, one, because I'm passionate, if you haven't uh-huh. noticed. And I do that passion with everything I do. Anyways, the thing is, say with me for such a time as this. You got to understand the times, man. We got to be the sons of Issachar here. That discern the times. This is not the 80s, guys. This is not the 90s, guys. This is 2021, and our founders aren't young as they used to be in the 80s or the 90s. And the elders that carried this thing on their backs, they're not as young, and they don't have the vigor that we have as 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 20-year-olds. Right? So I went through transition myself with Uh, taking over a church that my mother planted in 1977. And when I took the church over with my wife, this was 2013, I knew I had been trained better than she had. She told me, you've been trained. I sacrificed myself so you would go to the best schools that I could put you in, so that you would be under the best mentors I could put you uh, close to. So I'm expecting you to do a better job. She told me that. So I knew, I, I, I know what to do. I got a game plan. I, I, I think I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty confident in the gifts God's given me. I'm very aware of my weaknesses. I know where I can get help. But my mom would always tell me, whatever you do, just don't leave this, 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 and this out of the equation. Yes, ma'am. Do whatever you do. You wanna pe- do you want to paint the church building pink? Paint it. Do you want to put like LED, scre- LED screens all over the place? Do it. I don't care. Do you want to take away the Japanese service? That's what I had to do. Not too popular, huh? I was the guy that had to say, hey, we have been having Japanese services since 1977. It's 2013. We don't have enough Japanese dem- uh, congregation. I'm going to have to cut that. Like, do it. But don't give up on the, 
word of the God, word of the Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I want you to walk in the tension of both of these things: the power and the truth, the word and the spirit. Whatever you do, this is it. So at times I've been tempted. Oh, let's innovate this, innovate that. But I always know there's a no-no area. I won't touch. Besides that, other things. And why do I do that? Because I'm honoring the foundation. And I'm also not stupid because if I start building, going off on things that aren't the foundation, I know things won't go too well. We are very aware of different stories. When transitions happen, then the successor abandoned certain foundations and the building crumbled. Does that make sense? So as we look into the mission, as we discern our times, God, what are you doing? What is, the, what is the foundational values of our mission? It's very important that we protect that. And one of them is cross-culturalism. Amen? It's the nations. Okay. Uh, number three, I'm late. I got to run. Do we want a visually diverse community or do we want a cross-cultural life? We want a very diverse, cool, hip worship video for Instagram, or do we want to live a cross-cultural life? Oh, man, I just stepped on somebody's toes. Trent, you're going to like this. I got a quote by Scott McKnight. It says, the gospel we preach shapes the kind of churches we create. Scott McKnight, the New Testament theologian, says that. And what am I... Uh, uh, Addressing the preaching of a small individualistic gospel will develop a self-centered gospel. It's very hard for you to see the nations when it's all about you. It's really hard for you to see somebody that's different when the gospel that you receive in the pulpit, which is not the case here, but unfortunately in the Western church it is, it's very hard for you to think cross-culturally when it's all about you. Uh, Professor Sung Chan Ra from Fuller wrote, from the earliest stages of American history, individualism has been the defining attribute of our nation's ethos. And that's good too, but as much as this ethos is empowering for business, it's empowering for um, enterprises, uh, private enterprises, when this individualistic ethos influences our interpretation of the gospel, it creates uh, a mentality of instead of an individual existing for Jesus, Jesus exists for my individual dream. So it's like, Jesus, you exist for my individual idea of revival. You exist for my individual idea of what a reformation should look like, of what a hot, fiery, bump and glory conference looks like. So I come with him with this. Look, got to be this kind of song, uh, with this kind of sound. Does that make sense? Because I, and, and you think, well, but the guy's sincere. And, and the, he is sincere. A lot of the young people, I mean, they're sincere, but they just don't realize that they are the result of the gospel that was preached to them. So I, you guys are leaders, right? So I want to speak to from a leader to a leader. Make sure that we give them the full gospel. Make sure that we give them a gospel that's not individualistic, that is not self-centered, that is about something greater than ourselves. 
And so it's about a gospel that brings heaven to earth and not just guarantees that I got my seat in heaven when the time comes. No, no, no. And when I bring heaven to earth, I bring in Revelations 5.9 from every tongue, type, from every tongue tribe, and tongue. I, I, I'm bringing the nations into my expression of worship. Does that make sense? Okay. So do you want a multi-ethnic stage? Oh. Do you want a multi-ethnic team picture or do we want a multi-ethnic life? I want a multi-ethnic life. Teo, but you have a multi-ethnic life? I have a lot to grow in my multi-ethnic life. Don't compare your journey to somebody next to you. It's between you and the Lord. Lord, how do I deal with people that are different than me? How do I deal with the people that were born in a different context than me? I'm always growing. I'm always, uh, well, at least I want to always grow. And I will, I'll finish with this. You know, it's, I have a problem, and I know uh, you too. You also have a problem. When, uh, I'll tell you your problem. You don't like it when people impose diversity. You know why? Because that's not the right way to do it. Diversity should be an expression of our own personal value for cross-culturalism and understanding the gospel that is for the nations and that it has to do with the Jews and the Gentiles worshiping under a third race, the church, God's race, his new, the new man. Does that make sense? And so when I say, listen, we want to together go on this quest of saying, Lord, I want to have a more of a cross-cultural life. I'm asking myself, how can I do that? And the Lord just took me to William Wilberforce, and I'll finish with this. And now I'm really finishing with this. You know, William Wilberforce had the cause. You, you know William Wilberforce. I'm not going to go into the whole details of his life. But, you know, he was the guy that uh, really understood, especially through his conversations with his uh, pastor, John Newton, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. Uh, he understood that his quest in life was the abolition of slavery. So as a young parliament member in the British parliament, he tried to pass the law to abolish slavery. I mean, was, I mean, they had no success. And for 40 years, he worked on trying to pass the law. Now, many people know that he was a guy that was key to the abolition of slavery. But not many people know that he was part of, uh, of a, a group of guys called the Clapham sect. And the Clapham sect were, um, I mean, these were rich kids. They came from money, from wealth, from privilege. But they got together and they started asking themselves, why is it that God allowed us to be so privileged? Why is it that we have so much and uh, there's so much pain in the world? And they decided to ask the Lord, Lord, what hurts your heart? Make what hurts your heart hurt our heart. And in that quest, the Lord spoke to William Wilberforce and said, your, your, your fight, your uh, plight in life is the abolition of slavery. And so he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. This is sin. So what is the first thing he does? He says, there's no more slaves in the Wilberforce household. First thing he does is that. Second thing he does is he goes to his buddies and says, hey, the Lord spoke to me. And the Lord said that it is a sin, it's immoral to have slaves. They get convicted by the Holy Spirit, and it is said that there was no member of the Clapham sect that owned a slave after William Wilberforce said and raised the flag or the banner of abolition of slavery. All of them did. So think about what does it mean for the next generation of aristocrats in London to say we're not going to have slaves. That was a huge statement. After that, 
what they did was they got in groups and they would travel all across Britain speaking in villages and to parishes, uh, to, in parishes and talking to Anglican ministers. And they would go and say, do you own a slave? I own a slave. Well, that is immoral. That is a sin. How come? Open the Bible. Here, I'll show you. And Holy Spirit would convict the guy. And then Sunday, he would go court, uh, in front of his parishioners and he would say, how many of you own slaves? They would raise their hands. That's immoral. Open the Bible. I'm going to show it to you. And that started spreading. Why? Because their values started changing. He did that for 40 years. And right before he died, he goes in and he's able to pass the bill that abolishes slavery. But not many people know what he did in those 40 years. What he did in those 40 years was discipleship. A discipled one by one, one by one, one by one. When the bill comes, the institutionalized law comes to protect it doesn't work by forcing them. You have to be diverse. How many black people you got up on stage? How many Latinos you got up on stage? Where are the Asians at? No, when you say, I need to live a multi-ethnic life. I need to live a cross-cultural life. Like we say, if they're good enough to be on the stage, they're good enough to be in the boardroom. If they're good enough to be in the boardroom, they got to be good enough to be at your dinner table. Whatever color they are, whatever nationality, whatever ethnicity, does that make sense? Yeah, so, so when we say, this needs to be diverse, that's, that's what I, I fear that we're going into times in the Western world of a dictatorship of diversity. And that's not biblical. Because anything that comes from the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit that has to bring conviction. So today we're going to stop here and we're going to divide in groups. But before we do, we're going to pray. And we want to just ask, Lord, help us have a value for cross-cultural life. And that has nothing to do with the color of your skin. That has nothing to do with the passport you carry. That has nothing to do if you're Hawaiian or if you're mainlander. Everybody has their own journey. And you can ask yourself, how can I grow in having this value for the nations like you have the value for the nations? We've been through enough verses to understand that God values nations. So, Lord, tonight we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring the conviction in our hearts. Father God, we, we don't want anything that's man-made. We want something that is spirit-led. And so, Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction to us? We all need to grow. We all have room to improve. And so we need you, Holy Spirit. And we're so grateful because in your kindness and in your love, you're always calling us to repentance. Your goodness draws us there. And so, Father, I just pray, Father God, that you would continue to transform our hearts and you would continue to help us in this journey as a community. And we thank you also, Lord, for 60 years of proved record and fruit of this plight to seeing, Father, young and old, women and male, all different nationalities get engaged in the Great Commission. That is something that we could be proud, proud about. And uh, we love you and we know it's by your grace. So thank you in Jesus' name, amen.